Please turn with me now to the prophecy of Habakkuk. We're going to read this evening chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk's prophecy. And the sermon text this evening is the last part of chapter 2, verse 4. Beginning then with chapter 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. You must understand that the prophecy of Habakkuk is a conversation between the prophet and God. Habakkuk has been speaking in those first four verses, and now God responds and answers. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breath of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. And now Habakkuk speaks once again in response to what God had just said. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. 
Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, then holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord's answer comes in verses 2 through the end of chapter 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And it's that last part of verse 4, as I said, that's our text this evening. But the just shall live by his faith. I think you'll agree with me when I say that we live in evil times. And I think you'll agree with me too when I say that though there may be times of peace and spiritual prosperity ahead for the church of Jesus Christ, that overall we can expect that things will get worse and worse. That evil men, as scripture says, will become worse and worse, and that the situation of Christ's church here in the world will become more and more perilous. Until, of course, those unbelievably terrible days of the end come. When the church is persecuted and scattered, when Antichrist arises out of the nations, and when, as Jesus says, wickedness shall abound. Habakkuk lived in times just like that. He lived at the end of the Old Testament, close to the end of the Old Testament, 
just as we live close to the end of the New Testament, but lived in times that were desperately evil, not only in his society, the society of that day, but in the church as well. And when he was not able to expect that things would get any better. In fact, the word of God to Habakkuk, we'll talk more about that, the word of God to Habakkuk was that things would not only get worse, but would be far worse than anything Habakkuk could imagine. But it's that, that parallel between Habakkuk's days and ours that makes the Word of God in the prophecy of Habakkuk so relevant to us. And the thing I want you to see this evening is that God gave in those evil times, with even more evil times ahead, that God gave to Habakkuk and through him to Judah a very wonderful but unexpected truth to help them through those days and to comfort them in those evil times, those in which Habakkuk was already living as well as in the evil times that were ahead. You'd expect, you know, that God would speak to Habakkuk of his sovereignty. It's not what God says to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4. Instead, to prepare Habakkuk and Judah for the evil days in which they were already living, and for what was ahead, God gives them the truth of justification by faith, by faith alone. That was what they needed more than anything else for the times in which they were living as well as for what was ahead. Not what you would expect, is it? You wouldn't expect that God would give them doctrine to help them. Nor would you expect that God in giving them doctrine would give them doctrine of justification by faith alone as the thing that they needed most. But you understand, I trust, that God was not only giving that truth to Habakkuk and to Judah, but to us also. That's the help that we need in these desperately evil days in which we live. 
and when things get worse for us, when God delivers his New Testament church into the hands of the ungodly world and into the hands of Antichrist, as he delivered Judah into the hands of the Babylonians, then this is the truth that we need. The just shall live by faith. And that's the truth to which I call your attention this evening. I want to show you, first of all, Judah's need for that truth. What was happening? What was going to happen to Judah? And why they needed the truth of justification by faith? Because their need is our need. And then I want to talk about that doctrine of justification by faith and finally show you why that's what we need. When Antichrist comes, when the church is scattered, when those days come that are so evil that Jesus says it's an amazing thing that even the elect will survive those days. All that happens, then the truth of justification will be what we need. And I want to show you as best I can why that is. And that will be the third point of this evening's sermon. So what was happening in Judah? You know know anything about the prophecy of Habakkuk? When he prophesied what was happening in the days of his prophecy? If you turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, you remember that in those first four verses, Habakkuk himself is speaking. And he's talking about all the sin that he witnessed in Judah. Violence, grievance, spoiling, those who raise up strife and contention. He says the law is slacked. Seems like there isn't any law and that the demands of the law are completely disregarded. Judgment doth never go forth. If you want to try and deal with the evil, nothing gets done. For the wicked, he says, doth compass about the righteous, and therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. They're in the majority. They're the ones who seem to have the reins of the nation in their hands. And the only result is that things in the nation get worse and worse. And he says to God, don't you see? Aren't you going to do anything about it? How long shall I cry? 
and thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. And I think you can see that what Habakkuk saw in the church of his day is very evident in the church today, even in our own churches. And it seems, as Habakkuk, it seemed to Habakkuk that God doesn't deal with it. Violence, strife, grievance, disregard for the law, no justice, all those different things. And it's at that point already that the prophecy of Habakkuk speaks to us. And those, of course, who are like Habakkuk, concerned about evil in the church, cry to God about it, even when it seems as though he doesn't hear. But God's answer to Habakkuk is that things are only going to get worse. God says to Habakkuk, I see. I know what's happening. And the Babylonians are coming. And they're going to take the people into captivity They're going to march through the breath of the land. They're going to take the whole land as their own. They're terrible and dreadful. God doesn't make any effort to to take away the horrors of what was ahead for the nation of Judah. He was going to give his church, he says, into the hands of the ungodly. And that was partly due to the sins of God's church. And that too, of course, applies to us. We know what's ahead for the church of Jesus Christ. And if anything, it's far worse than what was ahead for Judah. When Antichrist arises, when those last days come, then the horror of those days will be beyond anything we can possibly imagine. We know that from the Word of God. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, describes after the event what the coming of Babylon would mean. Lamentations 5. And he acknowledges that that was the result of Judah's sins. Our fathers have sinned, and we have borne their iniquities, he says. But he adds, we get our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women in Zion. And the maids in the cities of Judah, princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of elders were not honored. 
They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased, our dance is turned into mourning. That's just a little. We know, too, from the story of Daniel and his three friends, how they were taken away from their families, brought to Babylon, and though princes in Judah were made the slaves of Nebuchadnezzar, that heathen king. Horrors, unbelievable, beyond even what Jeremiah describes. But what you and I must understand when we read God's word to Habakkuk about the coming of Babylon is that Babylon is still around. Babylon in the Bible is not just the name for Nebuchadnezzar's city and kingdom, but Babylon in the Bible is the is Scripture's name for the world in which we live. Revelation chapters 16 through 18 make that clear. There, this world, this evil world in which we live, this world which hates God's church, and more and more looks to destroy God's church, is in Revelation 16 through 18, in its cooperation with the false church, called Babylon. So Babylon is still around. And when you see the world becoming more and more wicked, then it should be evident to you that it's the same Babylon that was there in the days of Habakkuk. You should see Babylon coming. And what happened to Judah in the days of Habakkuk was a picture then of what's going to happen when Babylon, if I may put it that way, reaches its final power and glory in the kingdom of Antichrist. So when God says to Habakkuk, Babylon is coming, then he's saying that to us too. And what you see happening in our society is a fulfillment of God's word to Habakkuk. And as Babylon rises once again, then the same thing will happen. For our sins, for our weaknesses, in chastisement, God is going to deliver his church once more into the hands of Babylon. In those terrible days, that lie ahead for the church. This is prophecy, not just a description of what happened in Habakkuk's days in the Old Testament. 
You see that? Now Habakkuk's reaction to that in the last part of chapter 2 is Babylon? You're going to give us into the hands of Babylon? Yes, we've sinned. We acknowledge that. But Babylon? How can that be? How can it be that we are going to be given into the hands of those who are even more wicked than we are? That's from, that's Habakkuk 1, verse 13. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and hold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? These are people who worship their nets and their fishing poles. These are people who ascribe their victories to gods who are not gods. And we're going to be brought into captivity by them? How can that be? Thou art purer of eyes than, be, than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. How can a holy God allow such things? to happen to his church. But then Habakkuk, and that's where chapter 2 verse begins, Habakkuk says, I've said enough. I've remembered I'm talking to God. And I've probably said way more than I should have said. So I'm going to go up into my tower and wait for an answer and I'm not going to say anything else. And God's answer comes to him. And the heart of that answer is Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The just shall live by faith. Everything you say about Babylon is true, Habakkuk. But you must know this. You must know this as you witness the sins of Judah. Worldliness, complacency, all the things that were happening in the church then and that so often characterized the church today. You need to know this. The just shall live by faith. And if you think about what's ahead for the church, then this is what you need more than anything else. The just shall live by faith. Now that's the doctrine that we know as the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That, that doctrine that charmed Martin Luther out of the Roman Catholic Church and into a position of leadership 
in the great reformation of the 16th century. That's the doctrine. That's what God gave Habakkuk. To get him and Judah through the times in which they lived and through what was ahead. Doctrine. And this doctrine. And I trust that you know what justification by faith means. You do, don't you? Don't you? If you don't, you should. As children of the Reformation, but also as those who've read the prophecy of Habakkuk and all the other passages of Scripture that teach that important doctrine. Justification means, if you need to be reminded of that truth, justification means that we, though Sinners are viewed by God himself, the judge of heaven and earth, not as sinners, but as those who have never had, never committed any sin. It has to do with the fact that God judge, when he judges us, judges us innocent of all wrongdoing. Amazing, isn't it? Sometimes I look at myself and all I see is my sinfulness. But when I stand before the judge of heaven and earth, then he says, I find no fault in him or in her. And then too, of course, he loads those who are justified with every possible blessing and privilege. Takes them as his children, takes them into his own covenant fellowship and friendship gives them an everlasting home in heaven, a house not made with hands, the Apostle Paul says, eternal in the heavens. Makes all things work together for their good, loves them, pours his love upon them, all because he's found them innocent, but that's by faith. It's not, of course, because in and of ourselves we're innocent of any wrongdoing. We know better than that. But it's by faith. Faith that 
joins us to Jesus Christ so that we share in Christ everything that's his. His father, his home, his people, his spirit, they all become ours through faith. But in our justification, his righteousness, his innocence becomes ours also so that God sees us as those who never had any sin. That's the doctrine of justification by faith. But that's the doctrine here in Habakkuk that God gives to his people as the thing that they need more than anything else in evil times. I might add, by the way, that these words of Habakkuk are so important that they're quoted three times in the New Testament. In Romans 1, in Galatians 3, and in Hebrews 10. And it's those passages that make it clear, too, that Habakkuk was given by God this doctrine as the comfort and help of God's people. God isn't saying to Habakkuk when he says the just shall live by faith that by faith God's people are going to get through these evil times. But he's saying there are those in the nation of Judah as there will be to the end of time. Those who by faith in Christ Jesus are righteous in my sight. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to know. Now, when you look around you and see not just the wickedness of the world in which we live, but how it creeps into the church, into our lives, into our families. How sometimes our children are drawn away by the wickedness of the world. How it spoils sometimes our lives, both in the church and in the home. When you see that, that's the word of God in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Then what you must remember, first of all, is that doctrine. That's, I suppose, something we need to be reminded of. That doctrine is not something to complain about. as many do in the church. Give us more practical preaching. 
don't give us all this doctrine, that kind of thing. We're weary and bored with doctrinal preaching. God says to Habakkuk, what you need here is doctrine. In this case, that wonderful doctrine of justification by faith. That the perfect obedience, the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ are ours through that faith that unites us to him and makes us bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. But then the question is, why that? Why is that what we need? In an evil world, when we see what goes on in the church of Christ, the things that Habakkuk complained of, Why is this what we'll need when Antichrist comes and the end of the world and the church and her sins will be the reason for it when the church is given into the hands of the ungodly, to the hands of Babylon? And when those horrible days of the end come, if not on us, on our children and grandchildren, why? Why do we need this doctrine? And why do we need it more than anything else? You know? You need that, I need that, in evil times, because that doctrine says to me that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to the church of Jesus Christ, it is not God's wrathful judgment on me. And you understand that when God sends his judgments on the world, they affect the lives of God's people. Their houses burn. Their lands are destroyed by floods. They have cancer and are subject to all the other infirmities and ills that are God's judgment on this present world. But in the case of God's people, and that's the doctrine of justification by faith alone, they are not God's wrathful and destroying judgments. For 
and only the loving chastisements of their heavenly Father. You see that? I need that. And I'm sure you do too. Because when those evil things affect me in my life, then my first response is often, is God angry with me? Does he hate me? Is that the reason why this is happening? What have I done to deserve this? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger hid his face? Why is this happening to me, one of his children? And the answer that God gives to Habakkuk is yes, the Babylonians are coming. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what happens, it will not be the same for them as it is for the ungodly. What happens to them may also happen to the ungodly not for the same reason. It cannot be because they are justified in Christ Jesus. There is no wrath for them, though I chastise them for their sins. What happens to them will never destroy them or separate them from my love because by giving them the gift of faith, I've united them to my only begotten Son and they share His righteousness and perfect obedience. That's, that's the application to us, of the doctrine of justification by faith here in Habakkuk. That's what God is saying to his people. What he said then, he says now. You get that? Cancer. Persecution. The scattering of the church in those last days the horrors of persecution. Are not for God's people anything ever but the loving chastisement of their heavenly Father. Never, never, ever Judgments that God sends on the ungodly and unbelieving. Never. And you know what that meant for Habakkuk? He understood. Started 
with complaints about Israel's sins, was aghast at the thought that the Babylonians were coming and what was ahead for Judah. Even expected that God was going to reprove him for saying too much. But when God spoke of the fact that the just would live by faith, justified by faith in Christ Jesus, that they would not only, if I may use that word, survive these evils, but would be blessed in God and in Jesus Christ who was coming forever. When Habakkuk got that, as we must get it, then his response was, it doesn't matter. I understand that it doesn't matter what happens, what's ahead. Chapter 3, the end of the prophecy. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. Flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Imagine that. Nothing left. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And justified by faith in Jesus Christ, assured that in Him you're righteous in the eyes of of the judge of heaven and earth, that must be your response also. No matter what happens, no matter what horrors I must go through, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation and rejoice not only now, but forever. Heavenly Father, we've preached and heard the word today with much weakness and sin. We're sorry that we do such injustice to thy precious and holy word. And yet we trust that thou hast used it, and that our Lord and Savior has used it to bless us that we will leave this place this evening resting in the confidence that we belong to a faithful Savior in life and in death, with body and soul, forever. Forgive us the sins we have committed. Use the word to stir us up to trust, to new obedience, live in the world, this evil world, 
as thy children, fearing nothing, but trusting in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name and for his sake.